Hello and welcome to Pop Pass Radio, playing you all the big hits right up until the final whistle. Coming up next, it's the Stereophonics hit, As Long As We Beat The English. But first, the news this lunchtime. Pop Pass News at one o'clock, I'm Tacklebag. Demonstrators have gathered outside the IRB headquarters in Dublin to stop a rumoured change to the Six Nations, which would see Italy removed from the competition. It comes after news this morning that South African rugby are deep in talks to join European rugby's flagship international competition from 2025 onwards. Our reporter Grubber Kick sent us this report at the protest in Dublin. Here outside the IRB headquarters, protesters have been unrelenting in their cries for Italy to stay in the Six Nations. Essentially, this protest has been formed in response to leaked information which sent shockwaves through the rugby community that private equity firm CVC, who have owned a 14% stake in the Six Nations since 2021, are looking to bring the Springboks into the competition at Italy's expense. Some joy in the last few minutes, though. Six Nations Rugby has come out and said they reject those rumours. The competition's organisers said in a statement they are not entertaining any discussion nor developing any plans to add or replace any participating union. It seems, then, there is some more clarity on the future of Italy staying the Six Nations. What is 100% certain, however, is the supporters' love for Italian rugby. Grub a kick, Pop Pass News, Dublin. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Welcome back to the Pop Pass podcast, where Charlie and I will be talking all things rugby from the international stage right the way down to grassroots. And as always, we'll try to throw in a few stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. As you all know by now, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you've enjoyed our ramblings and our analysis so far, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full Pop Pass Pod experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram and Twitter too. Thanks so much for joining us. Charlie, what have we got coming up today? Well, today, Freddie, it's all about icons. From the Flower of Scotland to La Marseillaise, we rank our favourite Six Nations anthems. If he kicks this, he can shave whichever part of his body he wants. Do you remember Martin Castro Giovanni or Gavin Henson? We discuss our most iconic Six Nations 15. And of course, we'll preview all the games coming up in the next round of the Six Nations, including a titanic clash at Twickenham. But first, Italy being kicked out of the Six Nations. 
Hmm. It was a big week for Italy and maybe South African rugby it got as well. Really scary at one point. Yeah, it had very, very strong uh, football Super League vibes, didn't it? Yeah, it was. It was terrifying. I genuinely thought, like, I saw the article come up, and the guy who wrote the article was is relatively reliable usually when it comes to rugby news. And I thought that was, you know, it was the start of the ball rolling for Italy to just be slowly phased out or have a weird seven nations, which I just do not understand how that would have worked at all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't want to start off with, I don't want it to happen. But yeah, at, the same no, time, at the same time, I could see it. Like, you can see the incentives, like the financial incentives. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're being a bit more objective, you'd, see, you'd think and think, um, well, South Africa are a great rugby nation. I think they should be part of this great competition. But obviously, that's not how it works. Yeah, know? this no. is the Six Nations. It's a European rugby competition. We don't need to be bringing in other nations. Exactly. In. You don't want to go all like traditionalist about it because I think rugby has a big problem with with people who've been involved in the game for a very long time, yeah, not wanting things to change and yeah. wanting things to stay the same. And I think, of course, now the Six Nations is sponsored by TikTok. They're really trying to change the profile of the tournament, but. I think South Africa joining it would just it would just upset. We've got the World Cup the for system. that. We've got the World Cup yeah. for that. I I don't and we've got the Autumn Internationals. If I want to see England come up against sort of South Africa or any yeah. Southern Hemisphere touch side more more regularly, I just don't see the need for it to happen. I I like the Six Nations the way it is. I don't want it to change. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. And also like player welfare as well. Like if you add another nation to the Six Nations, we're already doing a, a seven week tournament we're gonna to have to add another week to that which is another another game another game of really tough test rugby and players have already got such a high workload when they've already got you know summer internationals autumn internationals they have the, their own club game to to worry about as well adding another game it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense for the players either and, and you're right like playing against the Springboks is special it shouldn't have to happen every single year yeah. I don't think. Yeah, well, thankfully, I don't think... It seems like the statement from uh, Six Nations Rugby seems like this isn't going to happen. And I think for, for the time being, we can just forget this all happened. So we can move on, I hope. Yeah, I think so. I think for now, we, we'll, we'll leave it there. I mean, on a, on a lighter note, Charlie, just before we get into things, there has been a, a seal on TikTok <laughs> who has <laughs> predicted every single Six Nations fixture correctly. <laughs> Which, which I must say is, has better, is better than both of us. Who comes up with these ideas? It's <laughs> every single major tournament, I swear. Every single was major tournament. Op- octopus in, in which World Cup Russia, it? I think it was. Was it Russia? I or think it was it before that. before that. And then it was repeated for Russia. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I swear, yeah, every single international tournament, whether football, rugby, whatever, that some animal comes out of the woodwork and, and gets all the, all the games right. I wonder if someone was predicting, there was an animal, a winter animal, predicting the curling results. Oh, <laughs> a winter animal. Polar a, bear. A penguin. <laughs> An Arctic saviour. Arctic saviour. The thing is, th- th- this is how it will end. If it keeps getting them right, it's going to end up being a feature on like BBC Breakfast where they'll get them to, to, to guess the final or guess that the last round of fixtures live. And I can't get, believe it hasn't already featured. Surely yeah, Dan Walker would be yeah. eating that up. I know. It's just one of those things. It will really annoy me, though, if it does. But, I mean, this week, most importantly, it's guessed that Wales will go to Twickenham and win. Ooh. So I'm hoping, more hoping than thinking, but I'm, I think so as well, that he's got his first prediction wrong this weekend. But back to today's episode, let's kick off with how all games should be starting with our favourite Six Nations anthems. Anthems. 
So yes, anthems, a key part of the Six Nations. I think it's it's part of the identity of the Six Nations, how oh, yeah. good the anthems are. And that that's the difficulty of, of if when we're going to rank these, which we mm-hmm. are about to do, that all of them are really good, except for one. Oh. And that's what we're going to kick off <laughs> with first. I wonder which anthem that could be. We'll be quick about it. <laughs> um, the English national anthem is way down in another tier. It, the, the other ones are in sort of god tier territory. They're some of the best national anthems that I think yeah. that I think are around. No offense to Queenie, I know she's got coronavirus right now, mm-hmm. but um, the English national anthem doesn't slap. There's it for the Commonwealth Games. I'm fairly certain they do um, Jerusalem. Really? Yeah. Um, and I think another one which could be could could replace it. Uh, Abide with me. It's played at the FA Cup final. Yes. Uh, uh, tears come to my eyes every time that's played at Wembley. I must say it will never get changed though. I re- I don't think it will. No, never. And there's a great Billy Connolly sketch about how it should be the Archers theme tune. Um, oh God. Um, <laughs> I just I think it's one of those things where every year or so there is there is sort of a movement to change the national anthem because when we have big like, sporting tournaments everyone's like wow it's so dreary and so it's not very uplifting is it yeah but i don't think it will ever get no changed, it will never change so yeah england worst national anthem in the six nations there said it yeah let's move on let's move on <laughs> uh, in fifth place we have gone and to be honest it's really quite tricky to rank these i think there's there's almost three tiers England's in the lowest and then there's, there's about three three teams yeah, in the next one and, up and the two tiers are very closely joined yeah. you know it's like um, Champions League and Premier League yeah. you know they're both elite competitions in terms of anthems exactly I think that, that's the thing that's why we have to preface this conversation with, with with saying that because I think all of the five other anthems are actually pretty good we don't want to offend anyone exactly let's not do that <laughs> um, but, but in fifth place we've gone for Ireland Ireland's cool yes which is really symbolic because it's the unifying of Republic and Northern Ireland. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think what encapsulates how, how amazing a national anthem is, is that Rory Best says that he wouldn't sing it at the start of a game because he sung it once, um, got so into it that his first line out happened and he was so pumped up from it that he missed through. It was a key line out. And he said he doesn't sing any. He got a lot of stick for it. So I think that encapsulates how good a national anthem is. it is. But it's just got such a good rhythm to it. It's in, got a key change. Yeah. <laughs> how many national anthems was have it, a key change? Was it written by Westlife? That is the question. Um, <laughs> I don't think we can be saying that. <laughs> really? um, well, should we play a bit of it now? Yeah, let's play a bit of it. Okay. I, I do love the, the chorus and it is, it is one that sticks in my head. Now, before we play it, I'm just going to throw this out there that I think a national anthem is only as good as it is when it's played away. I think any national anthem can sound sick at home. Yeah. And I think the strength of any any national anthem is that when it's away, it sounds like a banger. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so I am going to play, shall I play an away or a home one? Let's play a home one. I think a home one. Because that gives the, the, passion, the real passion of it. Yeah. So this is Ireland's Call at Croke Park in 2007. So let's listen to it. Just the stuff. It's got a great intro. Really nice intro. Yeah. Uplifting. And then wait for the drums. Wait for the beat. Oh, wow. They're not going for it. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. If they were Italian, they'd be...
on the course. I mean, I am getting goosebumps, to be fair. I mean, it's a good anthem. It's amazing. So, I feel bad putting it in fifth. But it... Key change! Oh, wow. See, this is... <sighs> well, I think we'll leave it there. I think we've got the idea. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we'll move on to fourth place. Again, really, really tight call. But Charlie and I have, have agreed upon Scotland. It's with a heavy heart because it's amazing. It is a, it, again, it's a fantastic national anthem, yeah. but I think it goes fourth for me. I think so. Flower of Scotland is a, is, it's a great anthem. It's really putting two fingers up to the English. Yes. And the great thing about the Scottish national anthem is just the ad-lib bits that have been added in, which I won't do because they're, they're swearing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it really gives this amazing atmosphere. And when... It's played at Murrayfield for the Calcutta Cup. Yeah. The power of that. that There's anthem. nothing better there for the Scots. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, I'm saying two fingers. I mean uh, more than that when you're in the stadium and you're an Englishman. <laughs> the thing is now, now Scotland can more than match England when they play them. Yeah. They, there's a bit of an arrogance about it, which I quite like from the Scots. Like, like they're ready to, to go at England. It's like Scotland's version of the hacker. Yeah. It's like... We are coming for you. Yeah, it's a challenge. I'm throwing down the gauntlet. And yes, it works in all games, but there is one match in particular where that performance is do or die. You know, (laughs) exactly. It's a it's a brilliant anthem, and particularly against against the English, you can just see that that glint in some of the players' eyes. You look at Stuart Hogg or Finn Russell, and so good when 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 they're when they're singing those those words. You know, especially now, you get a little bit worried. And obviously, they they beat us a few weeks ago. Um, but I think that anthem does really contribute to those big performances. We're we going to have a little listen. Let's have a little listen. Oh, the bagpipes at the top of the stadium. Yeah. When it's a nighttime game and that gets put up by a spotlight. Oh my god. Goodness me. Goosebumps once again. The bagpipes really do it, though, don't they? Yeah. And the drums. Who are they playing playing against in this game? England. Oh, it's an it's a oh, okay. There's those ad libs. Yeah, that was a that's not a rude one. Oh, is it not? No, some of them are. Yeah. And then we hit the acapella, the best bit. Ooh. Someone's really close to the microphone there. Beautiful. Just doesn't have a key change. Maybe, maybe if it had a key change. But well, it could be even better. It could be, but we have put Ireland and their key change down in fifth. So, but I think I think the bagpipes, as we were saying, the the atmosphere of it. There's just a general. It's just a bit more fierce, and yeah. that's why I like it more. I think the so. Ireland, Ireland one is is amazing, and it's all about friendship and coming together. Mm-hmm. 
But that doesn't mean necessarily it's as good as O'Flower of Scotland. Just Flower of Scotland. I think it's just Flower. But that's Scotland in fourth place. Let's move on to third. And we've gone for Wales. Land of my fathers. I'm not going to try and pronounce it in Welsh. I don't think I could tell you a single lyric. I just know the sound. Gwad. I could probably. I could probably. <laughs> that's even how you pronounce it. I could hum it all. I could whistle it all. Yeah. I know. I know every up and down in, mm-hmm. in, in the notes, but I couldn't tell you a lyric. No, neither could I. But I mean, again, this one is an incredible national anthem, and we're just talking about Scotland, uh, Flower of Scotland being amazing at Murrayfield. Now this is an anthem that when it's played at the Principality. <sighs> Good God! It's it's just Welsh Welsh nationalism in just like a test tube. You know, yeah. you'd, you'd open that bad boy up and it just screams yes, Daffodils and Land of My Fathers. Oh that's my it. God. Uh, it's a great, great anthem. I just, I don't think anyone can dispute how good it is. Me too. Well, let's hear it. You see, it sounds really beautiful when they all sing it together. But imagine if you just mic'd up like each one of those 23 players who are standing there. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> just imagine. It, I just, it just sounds beautiful when it's put together. But imagine each individual person that's stayed being mic'd up. Goodness me. Because these are tricky notes. I wonder if Alan Wynne Jones can hit those notes. I'm sure he can. Yeah, he can. If anyone can, he can. This is it, isn't it? Here we go. Now, let's get into the business end of proceedings here. And this is where uh, things get tasty. They do. The silver medal. <laughs> the silver medal. And the silver medal goes to France. Le Marseillais. Brilliant accent, there. Merci. Practice from last week. Yeah. Wait, no, that wasn't me. That was, was, that was, that a, was a French art dealer. That was. That wasn't me. Don't ruin the magic, Charlie. <laughs> um, but yeah, Le Marseillais, again, don't think I could tell you many lyrics from it, but I think it's just got a real rhythm to it. It does. A marching rhythm. You definitely couldn't march to the Welsh National Anthem. That'd be a very slow no. march. But the French are going to war in this anthem, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to read the lyrics out in English, just to, just to give people an understanding of, of what they're actually saying. They say, Arise, children of the fatherland, the day of glory has arrived. Against us, tyranny's bloody standard is raised. Do you hear, in the countryside, the roar of those ferocious soldiers? They're coming right into your arms to cut the throats of your sons, your women. To arm citizens, form your battalions, let's march, let's march, let an impure blood water our furrows. Oh my God. That's quite fearsome, that. <laughs> Again, it just shows why the English national anthem is... In another tier. I mean, yeah, imagine imagine God Save the Queen at some point you're singing, let's cut the throats of your sons and women. Imagine, that. that's not very becoming of Queen Elizabeth, is it? No, not at all. But for the French, they they not only do they sing that, they they roar it. They mean it. Yeah, they, and they do mean it. <laughs> Those French players are going yeah. to cut the... But you imagine singing that in Twickenham, like... <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but I think it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful national anthem. And Charlie, I think you're going to... Let's, let's play a little let's bit of it. Let's play it. a lovely rhythm to it but I genuinely think now I've read the lyrics in English I have a completely different perspective to, to 
terrified or yeah far more <laughs> tell him they're gonna they're gonna cut our throats <laughs> that's basically what Scotland are insinuating as well I know I know it's just when it's said another language it makes it even more fearsome it's the shouting bit Right, let's move on to the number one, the winner of the Six Nations Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> uh, the gold medal. Uh, and that goes to, of course, Italy. Let's try it. In Italian, it is uh, Il Canto degli Italiani. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Have you been studying Italian this whole time? Well, look, I mean, it actually translates to the Song of the Italians, which sounds far less regal and important. Mm, mm. Um, but it is a wonderful anthem. I mean, Charlie and I did have a little bit of a deliberation between uh, La Marseillaise and, and the Italian national anthem before we started. Yeah, I mean, I would back the Italian's corner. One, because um, it's one of the only things they've got in the Six Nations. <laughs> no, that's not it. It's because... I think it, it it blends what we've been talking about, about passion and identity. And when you've got Castro Giovanni, Sergio Parise screaming the end notes of this song, mm-hmm. I think that that shows why, you know, if we're saying that this is the character of the six nations, not the five nations, yeah. I think this really puts the sort of nail in the coffin to say that, not nail in the coffin, far more <laughs> enthusiastic than that, the sort of... Final point that shows that why this anthem is so good is because it, it shows why Italy are part of this competition, to bring that European flair to yeah. to this competition. And I tell you what, no one else sings like the Italians sing. No one sings like the Italians sing. Just watch them next time Next time they do that national anthem. They're, they're, the veins are popping out when those guys <laughs> are singing it. It's ridiculous. And it's got a sort of synergy to the, the Argentine national anthem where there's just this sort of almost tears of... of joy and and determination yeah, just exactly. the overwhelming sort of occasion of it all and you see how much it means them to represent their country as well you know the fact they're almost in tears the, the badge is nearly yeah. getting stripped off the shirt as they're pulling each other exactly that last line when they all saw you know pull each other t- together yeah i mean even the footballers in the in the euros were, were singing it like exactly that. exactly it, it yeah it's that italian passion that mm-hmm. is is what we've known about italian sport yeah so okay. let's let's hear it not a great start on the trumpet i like the build-up though it doesn't go straight into it yeah yeah there aren't many anthems with an intro yeah. like this nation's name in it is always going to be a banger. Yeah, really. And it's sort of relaxing, but then it's got this edge of, yeah. ooh, where's this going? Exactly. Is it going to speed up? Ooh. They're keeping us on our toes here. Oh, we're back down. Yeah. It's a work of art. I mean, we could have done about three God Save the Queens in this. Yeah, we could have done. You know, there's, there's light, there's shade. Oh, and then we've got the a cappella element. Oh, wow. There's aggression. There's operatics. What more can you want? Venezia, Roma. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to let this run? 
We got this far. Of course we're going to let it run. Of course we're going to let it run because that is the best part of the anthem. It's just amazing, the ending. I yeah. don't know what... I think they're saying C at the end. I don't know, but it's just... It's it doesn't matter. Yeah! <laughs> it's so good. I think that that's that typifies why it's the top of our list and I think it deserves its place. And if, if, if Italian rugby deserves anything, it deserves their anthem to be, to be our favourite. So we've gone from one very hotly debated topic to another. And this, this week we thought we'd try and have a crack at doing an iconic Six Nations 15. Now, what does that mean? Now, I'm not talking about the best... I'm talking about players that when I say the Six Nations, they're immediately springing up to mind in those positions. To start this off, I thought we'd go from prop down to fullback in terms of the order. Okay, 1 to 15. 1 to 15. So I just wanted to kick it off with just a few names to just get us in the flow. Yeah. Rogue players. Yeah. Alistair Strokosh. Oh, Do you wow. remember him? Yeah. Bold head. Andy Powell. Massive guy. <laughs> Got, he was in some incident about a golf buggy, I remember, which was bad. Richard Hibbard, long, flowing, oh, blonde Prince hair. Prince Charming hair. Simon Shaw, enormous bloke. I think he's one of the tallest players to ever play for England. Six foot eight. Wow. So, yeah, we're talking those sort of players. Now they don't actually make the list. I just thought, just to get us in the mood. An honourable men- honorable mention. the start of the honourable mentions. Okay, so, prop. Adam Jones. May I say no more. Long, flowing hair. I don't want to be rude to him, but the figure of a man who is supposed to be a prop. Yes, a large, to be a prop. A large chap. When I think of Wales, I think of him, Adam Jones, straight away. Brilliant hair. That, that, that curly kind of afro. And then speaking of hair, Martin Castro Giovanni. Of wow. course, if I'm going to have one prop with amazing hair, it's got to be another prop with amazing hair. Honourable mentions, I think, Gethin Jenkins, now part of Wayne Pivak's um, yeah. backroom staff. Dan Cole, Joe Marler, Mako Vunapola. I think I think all three yeah. of those are sort of more recent mm-hmm. players. Obviously, Joe Muller's still playing for us. Phil Vickery. Ooh. Um, Kean Healy, obviously. I mean, he will go down as one of Ireland's greatest props, if not the world's greatest props. And then, finally, Nicolas Main. Do you remember him? That does ring the a bell. The name rings a bell, and it should. Um, his nickname, Le Bus. Which, um, Le Bus? Which Google helpfully translated me, for me was um, The Bus. So, Adam Jones, Martin Castro Giovanni. Beautiful. Hair is the key criteria here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hooker, Rory Best. Say no more. Say no more. He is encapsulates <laughs> the Six Nations. Third on Ireland's all-time caps list. But I did have another name in there briefly. Yeah. Keith Woods. Fantastic player, one of all, Ireland's all-time greats. So, yeah, um, I, I think he should be an honourable mention there. Steve Thompson. Guijado. Captain of France, 2016 to 2019. Guiado. Rafael Ibanez. Wow, this is great. Took over captaincy from um, Pelo and won in 2007 with France. William Servat, now French forwards coach, I believe. Yeah. Ross Ford. Actually. Ooh, Ross Ford. Most capped Scotland international of all time. Didn't know that. That is a stat. So, yeah, I've gone with Rory Best. Yeah. I, th- I don't think... There's really too much debate about that. As mm-hmm. I said, lots of honourable mentions, but Roy Best for me. Lovely. I think he defines the Six Nations at hooker. Second row, Alan Wynne Jones. Yeah, again, that's that's more. That's another need. I say more position. It's isn't not. It? It's not debatable, is it? Yeah. It's just. It just is. Again, defines the Six Nations. 
And then second row is a really tough position. There are mm-hmm. so many iconic players. Paul O'Connell. Did they ever play together in the Lions? They probably did, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fierce. Because I think Paul O'Connell would have been... There's a spe- I've definitely seen a speech of Paul O'Connell as captain, I'm fairly certain. Yeah. Alvin Jones is there as well. Understudy to him. Paul O'Connell now forwards coach for the Ireland national team. But as I said, lots of big names here that have been left out. Now, this is one again, quick Google, Fabien Pellou. As soon as you see this guy, you recognise him. France's all-time most capped player. Richie Gray, that iconic peroxide blonde hair. Wow, yeah. what a figure. I mean, he ran that Scotland pack for a while. Oh, he really did. He really did. You know, whenever you went into contact and you just saw that hair just sort of like bouncing <laughs> in the contact. I've got some obsession with hair, haven't I? You have. I think a lot, <laughs> a lot of these players have been picked solely on hair alone. Okay, well, to contrast that, Donnacurro Callahan. Um, just sort of like angry face yeah. just looked like a rugby player um, Martin Johnson I mean of course tough to not include him but yeah. I don't think he's quite as iconic as O'Connell and um, Alan Wynne jones and then finally um, Italian Marco Bortolami head coach of Benetton, Benetton now and then I think Courtney Laws although he's played everywhere really I think he could really be up in that list he is iconic oh definitely and, and Maritoji as well I think both of them once they retire from England, we'll look back at them as uh, two iconic players. Definitely, Courtney Laws, especially some of those, some of those gruesome tackles he's put in. I can't remember the the French fly half that he absolutely ruined. <laughs> uh, yeah, he poleaxed. But but either way, he's done it to quite a number of, of fly halves. But yeah. he's he's a dangerous, dangerous man. Well, speaking of top tacklers, let's move on to flanker. Now, Sam Warburton, thoughts? Well, I mean, iconic. I just felt like he, for a while, was, as we're talking about identity, he did symbolise Wales for a long time yes, for me. Yes, yes. As so, a rugby player. Yeah, and then Thierry Dusatois. Oh, what a name. World, World Rugby Player of the Year in 2011. I still think those two do really encapsulate their two nations. I mean, Dusatois was amazing for, yeah. for a long time. But the honourable mentions list is really strong. Lewis Moody, Mad Dog Moody. Yeah. First English player to be sent off um, at Twickenham by, after he punched um, Leicester teammate Alessana Tuolangi. What a throwback. And the first was a guy called Mike Burton in what was called the Battle of Brisbane against Australia. And I did a little bit of digging about Mike Burton. Yeah. And I found out that he played in a team called the South and Southwest Counties, which formed to play against Australia when they toured England and Wales. And they beat... Australia at the wreck. No way. They South and Southwest Counties on the 27th of October 1973 played against Australia at the wreck and won 15-14. That's crazy. But he didn't get a red card in that game. It was, okay, it was yeah. 1975, second test against Australia, Battle of Brisbane. So yeah, away from red cards, other iconic Flankers who should have made the list, who definitely make the list of honourable mentions. Ryan Jones, captain wears two Grand Slams in 2008-2012. John Barkley, part of the Killer Bees. Barkley, Johnny Beattie and Kelly Brown, all iconic Scottish players. And another one to add to that list, Hamish Watson. I think his iconic luscious locks, hair, once again, coming back. But yeah, I've gone for Sam Wolverton and Thierry Doucetois. Number eight, Sergio Parise. Done. None other. It's just... Uh, you can't. You couldn't leave him out, could you? You can't. Most appearances in the Six Nations, sixty-nine. Sebastian Chabal, though, was yeah. He he came to he came to mind when when I first started thinking about iconic players. But also, to be honest, talking about Six Nations in the World Cup, 
he comes to mind more when I think of that uh, French yeah. side in 2007. Yeah, I agreed, agreed. And then another one's put into that category of sort of World Cup synergy with Six Nations, yeah. Lawrence Delalio. Yeah, yeah. And again, he, uh, as I said at the top of this, he did play all over the back row. So, um, but yeah, for me, it's the World Cup final that I think of Lawrence Delalio. That pass into Robinson, I think, yeah. off his left, two-handed. Um, Aaron Ordecky, again, Google him. He's, he's right up there on the French um, caps list as well. Nick Easter, Jamie Heaslip, and then two more recent ones, um, Falatau. I actually saw an article in the Times that said um, Falatau is the best number eight ever to play rugby, even when he's not at full strength, which I thought was a classic headline to, to draw you in. Click bait. Yeah, um, I think he's great, but... Oh, that is a bold, bold statement. It's just, it's not the case. I'm sorry. He's a great player. He's a great player. It's just not the case. <laughs> but yeah, he's been iconic for Wales for many yeah. years now. Um, and Billy Vunapola, I think he's he's a classic number eight. You know, the, the socks right down to his boots, just yeah. taking in the ball on the game line every single time. Um, so yeah. Um, but I, I, again, I went with Sergio Parise. I think mm-hmm. that is an iconic player. I, I totally agree with that. Scrum half, Greg Laidlaw. Greg. I just think, you know, (laughs) when you see, no offence to him, a small man like him taking those kicks at key moments and and being a real leader for Scotland, I I think he was, he's iconic. I love a scrum half who takes goal kicks as well. Yeah, it's it's great. And to to add to that, on the honourable mentions, we've got Morgan Parra Mm -hmm. and uh, Dimitri Yashvili. Yes. Throwbacks. Third and fourth, respectively, on the French all-time points list. Wow. Um, and then some other Scots that I felt... I mean, Scotland went through a time when they had really good scrum halves. Mike Blair, Chris Custer. Ireland-wise, I mean, Connor Murray could really be up there. Peter Stringer, I've already mentioned. And then current French coach, Galthi. Fabien Galtier. Yeah. Um, World Player of the Year in 2002. Grand Slam winner in 2002. Did he wear goggles when he played, or did he just wear no, goggles now? No, he just wears goggles now. Okay. Danny Kerr. Yeah. I think he's pretty iconic. He could still be playing for England now, to be fair. He really could. Won a silver medal in the 2006 Commonwealth Games. Rogue. Really rogue. For what? For sevens? Yep. And was top try scorer of the competition when Sarevi was in the competition. Anyway, Ben Youngs. I think he's going to be right up there. Mike Phillips. Um, and then finally, Dwayne Peel. Oh, not finally. Maribor Gamasco. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Obviously a flanker, but had an absolutely dreadful game once in the Six Nations. And I was almost tempted to put him as scrum half for what... If you haven't seen this, just go back on YouTube and watch this back because it was one of the worst performances you'll ever see. Um, I went with Greg Laidlaw in the end. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I probably tend to agree with that one as well. Fly half. Tricky. This is a really tricky one. Ronan O'Gara. Well, he is his top point scorer, isn't he? I just, I just think he was. I see that Irish shirt with a little bit of white on it, and and I see him taking taking those key kicks. That's who I see for yeah. for Ireland at that time when they were brilliant. But of course, this is tough. Johnny Sexton would get missed out on that. Yeah. Finn Russell, Johnny Wilkinson, Toby Flood, Stephen Jones, James Hook. If we want to put him in there, Freddie Michelac. What what a throwback that is. Actually top point scorer for France with 436 which is awful in comparison to the likes of Dan Carter and Johnny Wilkinson who were like Owen Farrell's above a thousand points now yeah and yet the French top scorer is Freddie Michelac um, and Tranduc iconic Francois but yeah I think Ronan O'Gara for me yeah I think it's a really really tight position across the board but 
you you almost can't leave out the top point scorer in the competition history. Yeah, like, you, you can't. You really. can't. And, and also, he was a, he was a great player beyond the points he scored. And then centre, you, you know, if I'm going from Rona Gara, the next person I'm going to be including is Brian O'Driscoll. Yes, Bod. Bod in Bod we trust most caps for Ireland, most tries for Ireland, highest scoring centre of all time, holds the Six Nations record for most tries with 26. Chosen as player of the tournament three times: 2006, 2007, 2009. Oh my god! That's an unbelievable list of honours, isn't it? Second most Six Nations caps behind Parise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's a no-brainer. There, there are a few players in this team that we've gone through that are no-brainers, and he is, he's up there. He's the first name on the team sheet, really, pretty much. He? I'd say Parise for me might be. Yeah. Because when we're talking Six Nations, yeah, you gotta that stamp of of mm-hmm. approval. This is the Six Nations, not the Five Nations anymore. Yeah. Anyway, this is controversial for me. I went with Gavin Henson as the other centre. Wow. And that's largely controversial because he didn't play centre all the time. <laughs> but, but hear me out. There was a time where Gavin Henson was just in all the tabloids and yeah. he just sort of, for a brief period, turned into footballer. You know, like he had that sort of constant headlines about him that, that just never went away. He was dating Charlotte Church. Yeah. Um, and he scored the crucial penalty that meant that they beat England in 2005 and then went on to win. And his hair, and there's just, the, again, the tan, hair. The, the tan. Do you remember, um, I saw this recently, iconic piece of commentary from Eddie Butler, which he said, it, it, it was a last minute kick, and he said, Gavin, if you get this kick, you can shave any part of your body that you like. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure as it goes over, Eddie Butler goes, shave away, Gavin, <laughs> shave away. <laughs> no and, way and so if anything he goes into this team just for that moment so yeah I mean iconic player he also got knocked out by a teammate in Bath while on a night out which I thought was just an oh, extra, extra thing to throw into the mix and he took an 18 month sabbatical from the game and then came back and played for Wales again hit the headlines for that Gavin Henson another the other centre for me and I know he could be he could play anywhere that's the problem with putting people in positions yeah anyway um, Mike Tyndall Gordon Darcy, inaugural winner of the Player of the Championship in 2004, partnership with O'Driscoll, Jamie Roberts, Jonathan Davies, Damian Try. That's, that's a list of names. It's there. a real list of names. Wingers, Shane Williams, done, said it. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. It's, it's, it just is. Again, you think of the Six, six Nations, you think of Shane Williams. Yeah, he was, a, he was an unreal player. A force of nature. Player of the Championship in 2008. And then my other winger, again, this is where the problem of putting them in positions comes in. It's Gareth Thomas. Now, yeah. for me, he's iconic just because of not just what he, like how he was as a player actually playing, but then also since he's retired from rugby, coming out as gay, saying he's HIV positive. When, if I was to introduce an alien to a rugby player and say, like, who is the sort of iconic player for rugby who represents the values of rugby yeah i'd say gareth thomas straight away because he's sort of flamboyant he was an amazing player he's actually above jonah lomo in international tries um and then yeah he's done so much for the game and he's now a broadcaster and he's fantastic on on tv um so yeah for me it's gareth thomas yeah i think also we're talking about icons really icons of rugby and especially when you transcend the sport like he has done, especially with, with, with what's happened in his own personal life, there's no doubt he's, he's in this team. Exactly. exactly. Um, but then, honourable mentions, Keith Earls, fantastic player for, for Ireland. Yeah, brilliant. Evergreen uh, almost. <laughs> Evergreen. Van Sant Clair, 
bit of a throwback. Um, Sean Lamont, which was sort of a period of Scottish rugby where it was iconic, but maybe not for the right reasons. Yeah. Mirko Bergamasco to join his brother on the honourable mentions in this list. Um, again, the, the polar opposite with the blonde hair, but iconic player. Um, yeah, any others to add to that list? Well, I've got I've got Tommy Bow. We've got George North. I, I think George North could have could replace Gareth Thomas. I mean, he was just when he came onto the scene. Yeah, goodness me, like he was he had the same impact as like a Louis Rizamet in terms of excitement. Yeah. Everyone was like, wow, this kid is unreal. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And his, his, I think it was his first tour for the Lions where he scored some unbelievable tries yeah I, th- I think I think George North really could rival Gareth Thomas for, for that one I don't think Shane Williams comes off it but yeah as I said Gareth Thomas for me is a bit more iconic just in terms of transcending the sport exactly and, and we haven't got any English wingers <laughs> in here um, but Johnny May I think Johnny May is 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 an honourable mention yeah, in my there's, opinion there's also like Josh Lucy and Mark Cueto. Ben Cohen as well from really back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So th- there's there's a few names from, from Paul England. Paul Sackey. Paul Sackey. What a throwback. All, all, there were lots of sort of iconic wingers for England, but maybe not quite as good as Shane Williams and Gareth Thomas. Yeah, I think, I think we'll give them the, the two winger berths in this team. Fullback. Chris Patterson. Chris Patterson. <laughs> now, fullback again has got so many iconic players, and I think... You've got to really put Lee Halfpenny in there as well. And it's so difficult to sort of pick between the two of them. Because, again, when we're talking about goal kickers, and that's why Chris Patterson, for me, is, is up there. Yeah. But Lee Halfpenny as a goal kicker, taking off the scrum hat, all these sort of things about it. And then English players to add to the list, Mike Brown. Great player. Yeah. And he really got in the face of the opposition. I really like that about him. He was yeah. quite an abrasive guy. Player of the championship. Um, and I think Stuart Hogg is, is definitely got to be up there. He yeah. burst onto the scene and has been absolutely phenomenal for Scotland for so many years. And um, also, speaking of hair, like you have done a lot in this in this segment, <laughs> he had some he had some <laughs> questionable haircuts when he first uh, burst onto the scene. Yeah, and then for Ireland, Jordan Murphy. Um, I think we watched him, you and I, play when Leicester were in the Guinness Premiership final. But yeah, Jordan Murphy, absolutely sens- sensational player for Ireland, and Rob Carney. Oh, yeah. I, iconic, once again. Sally, and I just want to add a, a French name to the list. Uh, Johan Uge. Whoa, what a throwback. Yeah, I mean, he was, a, in terms of quality, he might not be up there as one of the best fullbacks we've ever seen. He was still a good player, don't get me wrong. But um, there was just something about Johan Uge, yeah. like the hair, the beard yeah, sometimes. Yeah, he had a flurry of tries in one championship in particular, yeah. which was, yeah, really rogue. So, yeah, that... That's our iconic 15. Lots of debatable parts of that, I'm sure. Let us know your thoughts. But I've tried, I've tried to get it right. I think you've done an incredible job there. You've really, uh, you've really, <laughs> a number of throwbacks in there that I, I've forgotten, but I'm now I'm glad that you've reminded me of. Well, thanks for that, Charlie. You've delved into the most iconic parts of Six Nations history, and I'm I'm so glad you did. That was an incredible list of players. Moving on to this weekend's Six Nations fixtures. The Six Nations is back. And at first, we've got on Saturday, Scotland against France at 2.15. After that, the huge battle at Twickenham between England and Wales. God, that'll be a good one. And on Sunday, we've got Ireland hosting Italy. Now, Charlie, to end us off, I want quick-fire predictions Okay, Scotland, France. I'm going France by 10. I, th- I think it's going to be hard to call that one, but still, I, th- I think France will, in terms of scoreline, but yeah, I think France will win that, undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, and then England, Wales. England by three. Wow, close. Close. 
I, I just think that the, the Welsh will turn up for that one. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Um, I'd love it to be more, but I'm just really nervous. No, fair enough. You, 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 don't, you don't really want to lose to the Welsh anyway, but let alone at Twickenham. Um, so no, so I, I agree with your cautiousness there. And Ireland, Italy? Ireland by 20. Lovely. Well, I'm going to go for France by three. I think it'll be tight. I think Scotland and Murrayfield are a different beast. You know what? Without injuries, if Scotland didn't have any injuries to some of their some of their key forwards this week, I'd be tempted to go for for a Scotland win. I just think it 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 sums up France really that you can beat Ireland and then lose to Scotland and Murrayfield. It, it's in my mind, but I don't want to curse them. No, fair enough. <laughs> okay, well I'm going France by three. England, I'm going to go England by uh, six over Wales. I, I England should win this game. I know it's, I'm cursing myself by saying that, but. Wales were brilliant last week against, well, a couple of weeks ago against Scotland. I just think England have more players back, apart from Owen Farrell. They've got a really strong squad. Wales, unfortunately, don't. And that doesn't mean they can't produce a performance. I just think if England have any grand designs of going to, to France next year and winning a World Cup, they need to be winning games such as this. Uh, Ireland against Italy over the weekend. Why not? I'm going to go Ireland by 30. Full on conclusion, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Well, those are the fixtures coming up. We will, of course, review all of them in next week's episode. Thanks again for all of your support. Keep your feedback coming. We've really loved hearing from all of you every single week. And once again, if you enjoyed it, make sure to go and follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at the Pop Pass Pod. We're also on Facebook now as well. If you want to use that platform, give us a like. Give us a like if, if you fancy. And of course, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you like as well. Of course, we'll be back next week to review all of the Six Nations fixtures. Hopefully, we would have got our predictions slightly better this time. And we may or may not have beaten the seal from TikTok. But until then, bye for now. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. 